0: Sahana Vavato Sahana Ubhunakto Sahavi Yankarava Vahai Tejasrina Vadhi Om Shantisha Tishanti Om Purna, madha, purna purna purnam purnasya purna maada anya purname hoshant shant 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 shruti smruti purana naam alayam karuna alayam namami bhagavata Pada Shankaram loka shankaram, shankaram shankaracharyam, keshavam bhadarayanam, sutra bhashyakrutao vande, bhagavantao puna punaha, ishvara guru rat vibhagine vyoma vadvyapta dehāya dakshina uttaya namaha verse twenty-six mukta sangonaham vādi mukta sangonaham naḥam vādi dhratyot sāha saman vitah vitah siddhya सिद्ध्य निर्वकार है सिद्ध्य सिद्ध्य निर्व कार है करता साथव का करता साथव का रागी करमफलक कर्म Harsha Shokan करता Harsha Shokan करता राज्य सफ परकीर्तित है राज्य सफ परर् है अयुक्त प्राकृत स्तब्द है अयुक्त Vishadhi Birga Sutriche Kartātāmasa Ucciyate Kartātāmasa Ucciyate Describing the Sattva Guna in different ways. The Sattva Guna, the purity of the mind is first described in terms of the jñānam, the knowledge of perception. Then same purity of the mind is described with reference to the attitudes one has towards karma, towards actions that one performs. In these three verses, the same sattva, sattva guna, the purity of the mind is described in terms of how a person performs the action, mukta-saṅgaha, how he is free from attachment, which means he has no particular agenda, no particular goal to achieve for himself. As we've been saying all along, that when you perform action, there are two goals to be achieved, understand? When an action is performed, such as shooting an arrow, one action that we achieved is that the arrow should hit the target, that is one agenda that I have. Second agenda that I have, that's an agenda for the world let us say as far as the action and the outcome is concerned, I have a personal agenda also that by hitting the target that I want to feel good about myself, I feel worthy of myself, I feel I am successful and thus I am also seeking what we call the ego gratification or self-glorification through that action. So there are two elements whenever you perform. The ego is always in performance of perform some action and therefore not even when I am serving the community, serving community, I do a do variety of things to serve the community, that's one thing. And through serving the community that I seek a certain visibility, recognition, some fame, that's another thing, you understand? <coughs> so. When we talk of the result, there are two these two elements about the result which is not very often, very often not understood. And what is it that Lord Krishna is saying when he says that you may give up the attachment towards the result or become indifferent towards the result is not becoming indifferent towards the physical aspect of the result. That is, I must make sure that whatever I do is done properly. And the goal I have in mind, if I am building a house, I want to build it properly, I want to make sure the house is built. If whatever I what am I doing as a doctor, engineer, as a professional, or as anybody, as a housewife, anything that I do, well suddenly I put myself and, and, and try to see that the proper outcome comes. That is Karmannyvahikara said, that is my responsibility. Lord Krishna says, it is your responsibility to perform the action properly. But then other aspect that I am seeking through the result, and that is as I said, a, in ego gratification, a self-glorification is also internally what I am seeking. It may not be an expressed agenda, but that is internally an agenda to promote myself, make myself visible, make myself important, I'm assert myself. In some way or the other, self-promotion also is going on through every action. That is what is meant by Sangam Tattva. Lord Krishna says that, give up that element, stop promoting yourself, you need not. Because when you are promoting yourself, you are promoting the ego. And thus you are promoting only your sense of individuality. The same insecurity you are promoting. And therefore also said, Mukta Sangha, unattached to the result, meaning unattached to the personal outcome. Not unattached or indifferent towards what my result, what my action will bring about. when well, I am particular about it. I want to make sure that what I do is done properly, rightly, and that the outcome that I want is reached. I try the best to do that. But through that, the personal glorification that I am seeking, become indifferent to that. Don't seek that. And as I said, a karma yogi or a sattvic person does not seek, there is no personal agenda. He doesn't promote himself, he remains an instrument in the hand of the God and promotes the God's scheme, let us say, rather than his own particular agenda. This is, if this is understood, then we will know what is meant by becoming becoming detached from the result of the action. Because this part not being understood, people have a lot of difficulty. How can we perform an action with a detachment towards the result, being indifferent of the result? How can it be? How can you perform an action without keeping a certain goal in mind? No, you cannot keep. Even a dull-witted person also does not proceed to do anything unless there is something to be accomplished. So when I am walking, there is a destination that I want to reach. When I am traveling, there is a destination I want to reach. There is always that. That is okay. But through reaching that destination again, I am seeking some personal glorification. That element, Lord Krishna says, That is a binding element. That I perform an action and that result is gained is fine. That is just the cause and effect. But I judge myself successful, I judge myself a failure because when my personal agenda is not fulfilled, then the success and failure comes. I feel that I have failed when my personal agenda has not been fulfilled. I feel that I have succeeded when my personal agenda has been fulfilled. So this sense of success and failure comes on account of having a personal agenda or having the agenda of self-glorification. When I am glorified, I am successful. I am not glorified, I am a failure. When I am glorified, Harsha, I am elated, unglorified, I am depressed, Harsha Shavakan karda. All these are attitudes born of Rajas. So Lord Krishna says that give up this Rajas. So we should recognize what are the attitudes born of Rajas and try to try to restrain them. Siddha Siddhya ho ha and therefore he remains unaffected or unperturbed whether his personal glorification takes place or not or whether the success comes or not. He knows that he has done the best he could do and well the Lord takes care of the rest. Siddha Siddhya ho nirvikaraha. Therefore, the one who is always devoted to the Lord, surrendered to the Lord and therefore functioning as an instrument of the Lord. He is a sattvika hakardar. So when we see in ourselves this tendency of seeking self-glorification, promoting my personal agenda, etc., then we should know that this is born of rajas. We should try to identify that and then slowly seek to restrain and work with that. (coughs) Because when there is a personal agenda then I become insensitive to the agenda of other people and very often my personal agenda is achieved at the cost of somebody else's agenda also. That is called himsa or injuring others. In some way or the other I injure others when I want to make sure that a given goal has to be achieved. Something has to be done. Very often it is the cost of someone else's agenda and therefore himsa or injury also takes place. A sattvic person is a himsaka; he is a non-violent person, doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to achieve anything at the cost of somebody. <coughs> so this is how the harsha uh, shoka anvita, a person who is full of rajas, as we said, he reacts to everything either elation and depression. On the other hand, a sattvic person maintains a tranquility of the mind, a calmness of the mind born of an internal satisfaction, born of an internal self-assurance, born of knowing that what is being, what is done is right. He is self-assured and therefore he does not seek any approval from the result. We are always seeking approval from the result of an action. He doesn't seek that. He is quite assured that he is all right and therefore Whatever the result is, that's fine according to the laws of the action. So he is not seeking any approval from the result. He is quite assured that what he has done is proper. <coughs> so this is how the karta, is the doer, satvik, rajas and tamas have described. Now the Lord continues the discussion here <coughs> from the verse 29. This is one of the most beautiful analysis of our personality. And more we understand our personality, more we understand what kind of changes to bring about. The reason why the sattva is discussed is so that we can cultivate that, and the reason why the rajas and tamas are also discussed in detail is so that we can identify them and we can slowly restrain them and we can get rid of them. And thus, we can transform our whole personality into a sattvic personality. That's the purpose. And then alone, As you say, when the mind is sattvic, then alone there is clarity, there is objectivity, then I can see things as they are, then I can see myself as I am. When the mind is religious, I have, as I said, a distorted perception of my own self. When the mind is sattvic, then I recognize that I am alright. Regardless of how the personality is, regardless of how the world is, I am alright. That I am essentially a peaceful, silent, tranquil, good person. That I am self-sufficient and therefore I am independent, I am free. That free self I recognize when my mind becomes sattvic. And therefore a recognition of true nature of myself requires a sattvic mind. As Swami always says that to discover the ananda, the fullness that I am, my mind should enjoy a relative happiness. A happy mind can discover the fact that happiness I am. So we can discover love not through the corridor of hatred, we can discover love only through love. So through a loving mind I can discover that love is my nature. Through a peaceful mind I can discover that that peace or silence is my nature. And therefore even though as far as knowledge is concerned, no action is required. But as we say, preparation of knowledge requires a lot of effort. Knowledge itself doesn't call for any effort. Open the eyes, the color is in front of you, the perception takes place, no effort is involved, but effort is involved in opening the eyes. If I am looking in some different direction, effort is involved in directing my eyes to where the object is, in opening the eyes. And then also, if there is some defect in my eyes, then effort is involved in removing the defect also. Thus, it is a preparation of the eyes, preparation of the instrument of knowledge and make sure the instrument of knowledge comes in proper contact with the object of knowledge All of that has to be done then the knowledge takes place and similarly also knowledge that I am complete takes place all that is necessary to do is to direct the mind where that completeness is as long as the mind is looking out there naturally it cannot recognize the completeness which is its own nature and therefore it must become self-centered centered upon one's own self an abiding mind not only really that, but it must be a mind that is free from the defect of, of like eyes becoming free from cataract, so also mind should be free from this rajas and tamas, the impurities and agitation. And thus it becomes then our task to make our mind free from the impurity as well as free from agitation. And what the What are the kind of thoughts or what are the kind of attitudes arise in my mind when there is impurity? That's what Lord is describing here. Or how is the mind when the mind is pure? This description is given. So that we can identify those impurities and agitations and then work with them. (coughs) And thus, continuing the analysis of personality now, in verse 29, Lord again makes a proposition of how. He is going to describe the three four buddhi that is intellect and three four dhruti, that is the resolve or defirmness. So let us read the verse 29. Buddhir bhedam dhrites chaiva. Buddhir bhedam dhrites chaiva. Gunatastrividham shranu. Gunatastrividham shranu prochyama nama shana. Prachyama namashe shena dhananjaya Prusaktvena dhananjaya Buddhi he Vedam Buddhi means intellect. Intellect in Vedanta is defined as Adhyavasāyātmika Nischayātmika Antahtan vrittihi Buddhi So that mode of the mind where when I made a judgment When I make a decision, when there is a decision, a judgment in the mind, that mode of mind is called Buddhi. And here Buddhi is the intellect, the instrument with which I make judgment, with which I know. So that instrument of my mind, or that faculty rather of my mind, with which I know, and I judge, and I decide, and with which which I can discriminate. Primarily, the main function of the Buddhi or the intellect is To be able to discriminate, meaning separate the things. Separate the right from the wrong, good from the bad. This ability to separate is called buddhi or the intellect and this is a special gift given to the human being. So this faculty of discrimination, buddhi and dhruti, the resolve or the firmness or the fortitude, the ability to restrain, so ability to restrain my mind, ability to restrain my sense organs. So when I find that there is a tendency which is not in keeping with I want it to be, then the ability to restrain that tendency is called dhruti. So buddhi to know what is right and dhruti the ability to restrain what is wrong. Both of these require buddheervedam having known what is sattvic karma, having known what is Satvik jnanam. Having known what is Satvik karta, we have known now. Then we require buddhi, we require the intellect to identify what is sattva, what is rajas, what is tamas. And then we require Dhrti, we require the resolve, the firmness to be able to restrain the rajas and tamas and to be able to cultivate the sattva. So buddhi and the Dhrti become now the tools with which I achieve that sattva and I get rid of rajas and tamas. <coughs> Therefore, Lord Krishna describes buddhe vedam gunataha trividam vedam gunataha according to gunas according to guna sattva, rajas and tamas trividam in a threefold way buddhe vedam So, hey Arjuna, we you now listen to the threefold difference according to guna of the buddhi. buddhi means intellect. dhritesh saiva and of the fortitude, of the firmness, of the resolve, may you listen to the differences now according to the three gunas. Prachamanam <clears throat> Asheshana, that is being told to you now, Asheshana, without leaving anything to be said, that is, it is said completely, Prataktvena Dhanja, and then Prataktvena. Also I will tell you, what is to be cultivated and what is to be given up. Srinu, he is dhan Dhananjaya. Lord Krishna addresses Arjuna as Dhananjaya. Dhanam jayati iti Dhananjaya. So one who conquers wealth is called Dhananjaya. Arjuna is very well known to have conquered a lot of wealth. When his elder brother Yudhishthira performed the Rajasu Yajna, then one of the conditions of the Rajasu Yajna is that you must go around all the whole earth and you must you must in fact go around there with your own army and challenge everybody and conquer them. So conquering the whole earth also is one of the requirements of the Rajasuv Yajna and this task was given to Arjuna. He went around everywhere and brought back with him a lot of wealth not only from the earth even from the heavens also. (coughs) And therefore that's why since then he was called Dhananjaya <coughs> because he won the Manusham Devam Chavittam. The human wealth as well as the divine wealth he acquired, accumulated, that's why he was called Dhananjaya. In, in short, one was the capacity to conquer the wealth. So far, of course, Arjuna has conquered the outer wealth but he has also conquered a lot of inner wealth also because he is a man of purity, <coughs> man of dharma. And also he has achieved a lot of, he is great, I mean he has also gained a lot of inner accomplishments also. Therefore, Lord Krishna addresses him as Dhananjaya to encourage him, that look Arjuna, you can do this. So, by using these names, Lord Krishna wishes to accomplish different purposes. Here, Lord Krishna wants to encourage Arjuna, that look, you can do this, is Buddha, you know, you have the intellect. Dhruti, you have shown the firm resolve in the past and that's how you are an accomplished person. You can accomplish what I am going to now describe. <coughs> With this preface, now in the next three verses, Lord Krishna describes the threefold Buddha or threefold intellect and in the following three verses, Lord Krishna will describe the threefold Dhruti or threefold resolve or fortitude or firmness so first the threefold buddhi the threefold intellect First sattvic then rajas and then tamas so in the thirtieth verse lord krishna describes the sattvic buddhi the buddhi that is born of sattva <coughs> <coughs> pravrittim cha ni cha pravrittim cha ni cha karya karya bhaya bhaye kāryā kārye bhaya bandham auksham chaya vetti bandham auksham chaya vetti buddhissa pārtha sattviki he pārtha sa buddhi he pārtha he you know, buddhi or intellect which is as such is called sattvika, born of sattva. Sattvika means born of sattva. <coughs> Yavethi, the intellect which knows clearly. These things, pravritti and nivritti, karya and akarya, bhaya and abhaya, bandha and moksha. Pravritti, doing, nivritti, withdrawal, renunciation, karyam that which should be done, akaryam, that which should not be done, bandham, ambhaya, the source of fear, Abhaya, that which brings about freedom from fear, bandham, the bondage, moksham, liberation. So the intellect which has a clear understanding of what is bondage and what is liberation. So this is where you said the human being has a great advantage over all other living beings that human being can can analyze, there is an analytical ability, and that is how there is a discriminative ability. So in intellect that understands that there is something called bondage. And that what I am seeking in my life is liberation. To understand this. Of course, not everybody understands that, but the one who has the capacity to understand. So one who has the capacity to see what it is that I am doing in my life, that constantly I am doing something or the other, from morning to evening, from birth to day, I keep on performing a variety of actions and all these actions are performed with certain objective in mind, that means that one after the other I seek to accomplish different objectives. And in spite of having accomplished so many objectives in my life, I still find myself a needy person. I still, find myself not satisfied with all the ideas that I've accomplished, and therefore I seem to want to accomplish more and more. So theres a person, intellect, that stops to ask this question: What it is that I want to accomplish in my life? Is there a desire behind all these desires? Because the desires keep on changing the form, one desire appears in the mind, I make an effort, the desire is satisfied, I am satisfied a moment, again another desire arises, And this desire is an indication or desire is a product of some self dissatisfaction. Because other desire then prompts me to perform some action brings about a certain change. So desire is always to bring about some change because a change what does it mean? It means that I am not satisfied with the way things are at present and if I bring about a certain change then it will be satisfactory. I am not satisfied with the way things are at arranged at this time, here and now and then if I make a certain change like this, I move this a little here, move this a little there, put this here, we put this on this, whatever it is. then. I feel satisfied. Now, the arrangement is right. One of my friends had this habit. Every evening he would come home from work. His wife has, of course has cleaned the house and she has organized everything. He comes home and spends next 45 minutes in rearranging everything that his wife has done. You know, if his wife has put like, he does this, put it like that, this way. He'll change everything, little by little, you know. Then look at it. Again, about 45 minutes he'll go around and rearrange everything and then he's satisfied. Now it is okay. So what was the need for him to do that? Because he was not satisfied with the way things were. And he feels that if they are rearranged then it will become satisfactory. And so every action generally springs from this dissatisfaction the way things are at present. And an attempt to rearrange things so that they become satisfactory to me. Understand therefore that basically every desire represents a dissatisfaction with the way things are and therefore a need to bring about a change so that I can bring them to that which is satisfactory to me. Whether or not I can bring satisfaction is a different matter. But the point is that there is a desire, that there is a need to change shows a dissatisfaction with the way things are. And thus I have been doing it from from my birth, I have been doing things. I am bringing about change in myself, I am bringing about change in things around myself and still I have not discovered a perfect pattern. I have set an idea about what is perfection and I am working towards it. If I just have a house with four bedrooms, Swamiji. If I have a job and I'm making hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, if I have a car of a certain kind, if I have children like this, if the spouse is like this, the children are like this, and this is like that, if my work is like this, it, this there is a picture you know that I have about what will be perfection, and I am struggling or striving to achieve that picture. Having reached that picture after a lot of work. Then I feel, I think, this four bedrooms, I think, if you have a sun porch and if you have this kind of a deck and if you have this thing and if you have that, I think that would be better. And this car, I think then this is all right, but one car is okay. I think we need another car for shopping, a third car for driving long distance, a fourth, you know, we require some boat, we require something. And again, I I work hard, struggle hard to bring about that picture. I have that. Then I survey. I feel this is not quite all right. that is not all right. And then I bring out some other change. This is going on like this tenth man, really. That he is counts one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and discovers that the tenth man is lost. And is searching for the tenth man. Maybe he's up in the hill there. We are behind the hill there. Maybe he is is fallen in the water. Maybe he's somewhere there. And that's how. He's searching for something. He doesn't know what it is. If you ask him to, to draw the picture of the tenth man, I don't think he'll be able to draw that. If you ask him to describe the tenth man, I don't think he can describe. He just has some kind of vague idea of the tenth man he's searching for. He doesn't even know what he's searching for and never. Even if he comes across somebody, he would not be able to identify this as a tenth man anyway. And so the human being is searching for this perfection. Searching for this completeness, if you ask him to describe it, every day he'll have a different description. So, when we write our essays, you know, know, when we're at school, what is my dream and so forth, then there'll be one essay. When I come to the college, what is my dream, there'll be another essay. After having finished that, my essay about what is my dream keeps on changing, keep on changing. Human being is searching for something but doesn't know what it is, doesn't have that clarity. Bandham, moksham, chayavetthi. A buddhya of the intellect, which has this clarity. That look, what I am searching for is something permanent. What I am searching for is wholeness or fullness. What I am searching for is freedom but unconditional freedom. I am searching for happiness, unconditional happiness. I want happiness but I do not want the dependence to go with the happiness. And so I want happiness and freedom. I want love and freedom. I want freedom with everything. This is what I am searching for. And then he analyzes whether is there anything in the world that is the capability of giving me this. And discovers, as Mundaka Upanishad says, lokan Karma Chitaan, Brahman, Nirvedamayat. Having analyzed all the accomplishments that are possible through action. And by action we mean an action performed to change something, accomplish something. Whether all accomplishments added up, can also add up to the limitless that I am searching for, he understands that it cannot. And that is how he has this insight that what is needed to be done in life is to know something rather than to achieve something. Because the tenth man is not lost, the tenth man is to be known where he, what he is or where he is. So, Bandham, one who understands the nature of bondage, the buddhi that understand nature of moksha liberation, everybody is seeking liberation. There is no question about it. Whoever is born he is born of a moksha, he is born of the desire for liberation, desire for freedom. Everyone loves freedom and everyone loves happiness. But the love of freedom comes from my conclusion of my present, my present conclusion that I am bound and I want to become free. It is taken for granted that I am bound, it is taken for granted that I am unhappy, it is taken for granted that I am limited and having taken that for granted then I am trying to become limitless, I am trying to become happy, I am trying to become free. Like the tenth man has concluded taken for granted the tenth man is lost, that I am the ninth man and with that conclusion he is searching for the tenth man. Similarly also the human being is searching for this freedom having taken for granted that I am bound, bandham, But the sense of bondage that I experience, is it really the reality about me or is it just a notion about me? Everybody takes this to be reality that I am bound and I have to become free. But here is a Buddhila intellect that looks and, and understands that no, maybe that I am bound is not the reality about me, it is perhaps a wrong notion about me and therefore Freedom is not something to be achieved. Freedom is something to be understood. (coughs) As Swami always says, you don't have to believe in God, you have to understand God. Similarly also, maybe freedom is something to be understood rather than something to be accomplished. So, maybe there is some problem with my understanding. And therefore this buddhi understands that I need to understand it correctly. Knowledge is what I need rather than accomplishment of what is not accomplished. Let it understand that bondage is a product of ignorance, bondage is a notion and not a reality about me. And therefore liberation is nothing but removal of that notion rather than Achieving something, re- achieving a real liberation, what liberation is? Nothing but freedom from the notion of bondage. Bandham moksham chayavetti This basic clarity of what it is that is my problem and what it is that is the solution, the buddhi, the intellect that understands is called sattviki buddhi. And that happens perhaps by exposure to the te- teaching, exposure to the scriptures, you know, and also on account of having lived a life of dharma, and therefore a sudden insight arises. As it arose in Arjuna, he would recognize that he needs to know something. That's how he submitted himself to Lord Krishna. Shisya sadhimam tvam prapannam Oh Lord, I am your disciple, please instruct me. And thus, this buddhi, the intellect that understands that bondage is not a real thing that bondage is a product of ignorance and that all the human sadness can be traced to ignorance and that there is no real cause other than ignorance and that the sadness or the sense of bondage can go away only when ignorance is removed, then this person's life now becomes a process of removal of ignorance. Rather than achieving what is not there, his life becomes a process of removal of ignorance. Bandham moksham Then knows, Then of course renunciation will become his way of life. Not acquisition. There are two ways of life. One is a way life of acquisition. When I am convinced that I am insecure by nature, I am bound by nature, I am unhappy by nature, then acquisition of what is not there alone can make me feel good. But if I understand that, this sense of smallness is a notion and not a reality, then renunciation of that bondage becomes a way of life. Pravurtimcha, nivurtimcha. Pravurti, acquisition. Nivurti, renunciation. And so he understands what is to be acquired, what is to be renounced. What is to be acquired? Sattva is to be acquired. What is to be renounced? Rajas and Tamas is to be renounced. Yes, we have to get rid of something in our life. Raga and Dvesha, attachment and aversions. That it is attachment, aversion, and that anger and the jealousy and the greed, all of these which are products of attachment, aversion, they are those which actually deny me the happiness that I am. The happiness is there always my nature, but it is denied because of these obstructions. And therefore, in fact, I remove these obstructions never So then my life becomes a process of removing the obstructions, of what? Attachments, aversions, lust, anger, greed, jealousy, these are the things that are in fact denying me what I am. And and acquiring, what? Acquiring what? Acquiring those what we call the divine qualities or cultivating the divine qualities, Amanitvam madam bhitvam ahimsa, humility, non-pretentiousness, non-violence, forgiveness, accommodation, straightforwardness, devotion. Then those things become valuable to me and therefore then my life becomes a process of acquiring those. So what is pravritti What is nivritti Renunciation. pravritti is activity. and then Renunciation becomes a way of his life. And as we say, renunciation doesn't mean giving up things. Renunciation means giving up the sense of ownership, giving the attachment. So the question I was asked last night, Swamiji, if after all we have to give up all our wealth after fifty years, why do we struggle to acquire it in the first place? Don't acquire it in the first place. Then what do I do, Swamiji, acquire me? Don't have a sense, don't have an unnecessary, don't depend upon that, don't become dependent upon that. Get what you need without becoming dependent upon things. What happens is we become just dependent upon things. As they say, what is meant by progress is converting the luxuries into necessities. That's what is happening in our life. So they say that comfort comes as a guest, lingers on to become the host and stays on to enslaving. That's how this comfort and luxuries all of them come. And soon before I realize they become necessities. And soon before I realize I become controlled by them. I cannot do without them. There are many people I'm sure who cannot do without a a cell phone. They cannot do without a computer. Cannot do without the internet. Cannot do without this. Cannot how can you have how can you have life without that? Twenty-five years ago nobody heard of these things. That was all right. But now, I cannot do without that. Not you have to do without it? Not that you don't to use them. Says, Isha Vase Upanishad, Tenat Kattena Munjithaha You enjoy everything without being attached to them, meaning without being dependent upon them. So as long as there was no air conditioner in my cottage for the last 10 years, I could do without it. At the most a fan and stuff like that and now, A slight discomfort, there is a central air conditioning. A slight discomfort, all I need to just switch on a little bit. That's it. In five minutes, everything cools down, becomes comfortable. All it requires is using this air air conditioner for three months. And then a day will come when I cannot do without it. It's nice to have comfort. But... It is not nice that I am controlled by the comfort. They say, "Look what science has done. Science has created all these conflicts and created all these." Science hasn't done anything. Science only has given us empowerment. We should know how to use that empowerment. That's all. If you don't do it intelligently, then what is what is meant for what is meant for empowerment becomes a very very burden. So that is called nivritti that is called vairagya, that is called dispassion, which arises from viveka, that yes, these things are meant for my use. I am not meant for them, they are meant for me. I eat food, food does not eat me, you know, things are there. And so, that will be the next step when we discuss the dhruti. But the idea is nivritti meaning renunciation. Renunciation is detachment, all the time asserting my freedom. Ask yourself, am I free in doing this? I'm drinking cup of coffee, am I free not to drink it? I'm eating a slice of pizza, nothing wrong in it, am I free not to eat it? Can I? Can I stay away from it? Then you enjoy it. most no, Swamiji, I cannot do without pizza. Pizza is my weakness, when pizza comes, I can't. Then think about it. As Swamiji says, when I'm sitting on the dining table, I, I ask myself, do I have a freedom to push my chair back, push back my chair? No, no, not until I finish that, not until I have that, not... That means that I'm not eating food, the food is eating me. As we like to tell about this king, you know, he was once asked to... We used to ...ride horses. Once he was asked to climb an elephant. He, he, he rode the elephant. He says, give me the rein." Because you are accustomed to rain, you know, on the horses. So give me the rain. He says, sir, there are no rains on the elephant. He immediately jumped down. He says, I do not want to sit on, on an animal which I cannot control. <laughs> so retain the freedom. That's all that we are saying. Have what all what you need. If you need a million dollars, have them. But retain your freedom. Let not the million dollar govern you. Otherwise there are many stories like you know if you want to trap a person, if you want to see what happens, this man was a poor man, and I guess somebody decided to really test him. And one morning when he opened his door, he found on the porch a bag of a bag containing golden coins. And he counted them. Wow, he was a poor man, he'd never seen gold. And all of a sudden now he what? A, a bag and full of golden coins. He counted them. How many were there? Ninety-nine. He says, hey, just one less than hundred, you know, we should have hundred, I think, you know. (laughs) So now, to get that one additional golden coin, he asked his wife, look, we should do something. And so they started eating one meal instead of two meals a day. And sitting on the vegetables, doing without vegetables, doing without milk, doing this, just walk instead of going by bus. and Really, he struggled hard for six months. Then he could save enough money for one golden coin. He added that and then counted again. Again ninety-nine. Again he struggled hard. This is how a lot of time went. But all it up to ninety-nine. Then one Mahatma Sadhu was passing by there and this man went to him and he said, Look what's happening? Sir, what should I do? There are 99 golden coins, sir. I just want one more. I want to make it 100. He says, where did you get it? I found my porch. He says, better throw it away. Because you will never be able to make it 100. Then it controls me. 99, I can't do without 99. I must have 100. The 100th coin will control me forever. Because we can never find satisfaction with what we have. We always want something more. When that comes, something more. That comes, it never adds up to hundred. What it means is that it never adds up to what I want. And therefore, Enjoy everything that you have. And God has created plenty of things to enjoy. You need not even have them. Enjoy them where they are. Let the flowers be right there. They need not be my room, you know. I can enjoy when the flowers are brought into my flower way, and I place them in front of me, then alone I can enjoy them because they're my flower. Doesn't matter. We can enjoy them where they are. But retaining freedom, that's called nivrutti. Freedom is all... Another word for freedom is renunciation. That's a big word, you know. But all renunciation means is that make sure that you enjoy something, Something that something does not control you, you are not controlled by it. <coughs> and that's how renunciation of raga and dvesha, rajas and tamas. That's called nivritti. <coughs> Through pravritti, performing action, but action is performed in such a way that it gets rid of the existing raga dvesha rather than accumulating more of them. Karya, karye, bhaya, What should be done? What should not be done? This buddhi knows. What action should we perform? And what should not be performed? What is dharma? What is adharma? What is in keeping the order? What is violating the order? He understands that. Karya, akarya. Bhaya, abhaya. What is the source of fear? Bhaya means source of fear here. And abhaya, what it is that will bring about fearlessness. He knows that adharma, violating the order, is going to bring about fear, is going to bring about unpleasant consequences. He knows that getting attached, Ultimately, it's going to bring about unpleasant consequences because he'll become dependent and he'll be controlled. So he knows what is bhaya. He knows what causes fear. He knows what it is that will bring him, you know, pain in future. And that bhaya and abhaya, what it is that will make him free from fear. This detachment, this viveka, the discrimination, vairagya, the dispassion. The detachment, that is Vairagya Meva one, There was one great poet saint in, in India, his name was Bhartruhari, and he is very famous for having written three uh, three sets of 100 verses each. And he wrote on Vairagya, he wrote on Niti, he wrote on Shangara. So Vairagya shatya. And so in one place he writes, Sarvam Vastu Bhayanvitam vairagya Everything is a, Everything is fraught with fear Only vairagya This passion is the only thing That is free from fear If you get attached to anything There is going to be fear but Pleasure is one thing Attachment to pleasure Brings about Bhoge roga the attachment of pleasure Brings about roga disease And like this he keeps on going if you are attached to wealth, always fear from the uh, fear from the king, or fear from the text, you know, in internal revenue, whatever it is. So fear from thieves, fear from those who take it away. You are too proud and attached to your to your family, then always a fear of falling in your in your behaviour, in your character. Too much attachment to the beauty, to the body, to the youth, always fear of old age. Too much attachment to the body, fear of death. Too much attachment to your uh, your scholarship or knowledge, fear always from those who will will challenge your knowledge. Uh, You have too much attachment of pride of your virtues, always fear of those who are going to condemn you. Every, every moment there is an attachment to something, there is always fear associated there. Vairāgya meva Detachment from everything and objectivity to everything is the source of abhayam or fearlessness. So kārya kārye, bhay. this intellect which knows what is to be done, what is dharma, what is adharma. What will bring about fear, what will bring about fearlessness. What is to be done, where the renunciation should be. What is the cause of bondage? What will bring about the liberation? With the clarity in this life. This is the buddhi. So the nature of the buddhi, the intellect, is to have, to understand. To have the, to have the determination. To have the decision. To have the clarity. To have the discrimination. And thus the intellect which has the discrimination is called the buddhisa Pathasattvagi. He pārsa, this buddhi is born of sattva. And then Rajas and Tamas. When you understand Sattva, it is easy to understand Rajas and Tamas because opposite of that. So, next verse tells us what is the Buddhi born of Rajas. Yayadhar Mamadhar Mancha, Yayadhar Mamadhar Mancha, Karyancha Karyame Vacha, Karyancha Karyame Vacha, Ayathavat Prajanati. Ayathāvat prajānāti buddhissā pārtharājasī buddhissā pārtharājasī Yaya buddhya, the intellect by which ayathāvat prajānāti a person doesn't have the clarity he has doubt he is, he cannot decide he cannot come to a clear understanding or decision about whether this is dharma or adharma See, one having Sattvic intellect knows or understands this is dharma righteousness, this is unrighteousness. But when Rajas comes, then the mind gets a little clouded, mind gets a bit agitated. And therefore, I don't have I don't have the clarity. Is this right or is this not right? There is a doubt or there is lack of clarity. With reference to dharma and adharma. Dharma means what is righteous, adharma, what is not righteous. Dharma what is in keeping with order? Adharma, what violates the order? He is not clear. Why is he not clear? Because there are many temptations in the mind. A person with Rajas always wants to enjoy things. Bhogabuddhi. Rajas gives us Raga or a Bhogabuddhi always a desire for enjoying things, acquiring things, owning up things. Therefore, when there is a course of action, where is known to be a righteous course of action. But as far as this fellow is concerned, he is afraid that if he takes up that course, then he will not be able to get his bhoga, his pleasure. He may not be able to accomplish what he wants. Then there is a, then there is a doubt here or confusion whether this is the right course or the other is the right course. Dharmam, adharmam, kāryam, akāryam. What is to be done? What should not be done? What is the truth in this situation? What is not the truth in this situation? What is non-violence? What is non-violence? Because every situation requires me to interpret these values. It is not enough to know that I should speak truth and I should not hurt somebody. What is necessary of clarity also as to what is meant by truth in this situation? What is meant by non-violence in the situation? That clarity this person doesn't have because his mind is clouded or, you know, why this rajas? Rajas means dust. Dust. Imagine a mirror. What is sattvic mirror? Mirror is very clean. You can see the reflection very clearly. What is rajas? There is dust on the mirror. You can see but not clearly. What is tamas? Mirror is covered completely. You cannot see anything. Sattva, rajas and tamas. So rajas means the mirror of the intellect is covered with dust and therefore he is never sure of whether this is dharma this is Adharma. Karyam. Is this the right thing to do or this is not the right thing to do? Ayathat, Prajanati. He understands them other than what they are. He wrongly understands them, but he doesn't have the clarity or the doubts about that. So that kind of buddhi is called rajasi. That is the rajasi buddhi, intellect born of rajas. <clears throat> and what is tamas? The next verse tells us that. Adharmam dharmam Adharmam dharmam itiyah Manyate tamasavruta Manyate tamasavruta Sarvarthan viparitamscha Sarvarthan viparitamscha Puddhissa partha tamasi Puddhissa partha tamasi What is tamas? When a mirror gets distorted, then that is the tamas. So here, adharmam, dharma manyakam. <coughs> the intellect with which one judges, what is adharma is dharma. What is clearly wrong? What is clearly unrighteous? What clearly violates the value? He thinks that this is dharma, this is the right thing to do. <coughs> so there are many people actually who have different kinds of causes. <coughs> We know how in the history, how great people have been assassinated. Whether it's Lincoln, or whether it's a Kennedy, or whether it's Mahatma Gandhi, assassinated. got assassins believe that these people are dangerous. You know, somebody thought Mahatma Gandhi was a great danger to India. And therefore, he should be gotten rid of. And therefore, he's assassinated. Now, he thinks that what he's is doing is right, he's quite convinced about it. He has a conviction, that he has a buddhi, in which there is a conviction that this is what should be done. Adharmam mitya, that which is clearly wrong, clearly violence, clearly damaging hurting millions of people in the whole humanity perhaps, but he thinks that that is the right thing to do. This is tamas. Adharmam manyate, that which is wrong is interpreted as right. That which is vicious is interpreted as virtuous. That which is violating the order is interpreted as in keeping with the order. Why is so tamas avrata? Because his mind is avrata, is covered by tamas, is covered by darkness of ignorance and the aviveka. What tamas brings about is aviveka, superimposing what is not there. For example, seeing the snake where there is rope and the superimposing snakeness upon the rope and so also superimposing Superimposing viciousness where there is virtue, so virtuous person is judged by this person as vicious. A vicious person is judged by him as virtuous. So I was quite surprised a couple of years, few years ago, when I, in India, when I read in the Times of India that there are some well-known mafias in India, and one of these mafias, or some one journalist must have gone to one of these famous mafias. And this fellow told me that he regularly receives applications from young people around the country who want to be recruited. He gets applications from young people who want to be recruited because they believe that that is what is to be done. What is doing is right. And thus, otherwise how can they go on with it? How can a Virappan for example in India, how can he go on with what he's doing for, for 20 years? He must have many people to support him, it's not possible that there are two states, Karnataka and Tamil Nadu and all the police, who, everything is after him. He must have tremendous support from the people, even though he's accused of 141 murders. And still, there must be any number of people who believe that what he's doing is right and this country, this government deserves it, <coughs> and that's what should be done. And that is how we have this milit- militant act- terrorist activity is totally destructive because they think that that is their, that is their conclusion, or their determination about what is national honor, what is their personal honor, what is right, who deserves what and this is how there is a completely distorted perception that buddhi, that judges things totally wrongly. This is called buddhisa parthatamasi. This is a buddhi. He has come to all this kind of conclusion because he sees everything in the wrong way. What is right appears to be wrong. What is useful appears to be useless. What is virtue appears to, him to be wise. And he believes that. Sarvarthana paritamsa. He judges everything as totally opposite of what they are. And therefore, he comes to the conclusion that this is dharma. Whereas in the eyes of the world, it is a dharma. Buddhista partha he partha. This is tamasi buddhi. Arjuna himself displayed this buddhi in the beginning when he said I see no purpose in fighting this battle. According to Lord Krishna this is born of tamas. So he had in front of him his duty which is dharma of a kshatriya and he somehow came to the conclusion that this should not be done. So Lord Krishna starts to lift him from tamas to rajas, rajas to sattva and sattva also to that which transcends all the three gunas. We do not even want to be confined to sattva understand. But a sattvic buddhi is required to understand that which transcends Sattva also. A buddhi which has rajas and tamas cannot do that. A vairaga dispassion, creating a distance is not possible when there is rajas and tamas in my mind. That objective distance is possible only when the mind mind is sattvic and therefore the first effort is to make the mind sattvic. And then that mind can see that which is beyond the sattva also. <coughs> Satvigi, Rajasi, Tamasi, Buddhi, Buddhi means the discriminative faculty. Okay. Om Pur and Amada, Pur and Amidam, Pur and Hat Pur and Amudachate, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Shankaram Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashyakruta Vande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvara Gururatme De Murti Bhedavibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtae Namaha Om Shanteshya Te Shanti Hari O Shri Gurubhya Namaha Hari O